0: Hey, everyone. I'm Jacob Cohen Donnelly, and this is A Media Operator. This show is a discussion about building media companies for current and prospective media operators. We discuss business models, products, audience development, subscriptions, advertising, commerce, everything to help you with your media business. To learn more and to become a premium member of the newsletter, visit amediaoperator.com amopodcast to receive 10% off a yearly subscription. My guest this week is Sean Griffey, co-founder and CEO of Industry Dive. With 20 business verticals, Sean and the team have built a remarkable media company. During our 50-minute conversation, we discussed their strategy for expanding into new verticals, the types of marketing products they sell, and the various acquisitions the company has been part of. Along the way, Sean also shared his advice for every prospective media operator. I hope you enjoy our discussion. Industry Dive personifies vertical business media and should honestly be a case study at any journalism school in how to launch new verticals that complement each other. Can you talk about the germination of the idea for Industry Dive and how you guys got started?
1: Sure. You know, my co-founders Eli Dickinson, Ryan Williamson, and I have worked together uh, for some time, and, and we were at a company uh, before this in. Uh, B2B media and the vertical spaces. Uh, and as we were there, we we were looking and noticing that there were uh, opportunities, honestly, to do it uh, slightly differently and better. And um, if you go back to 2011, 2012, um, it was a time when mobile was disrupting media companies and uh, and the way we worked. And, and I, always, I always joke around that if you remember, the knockback then was Facebook was going public and people were trying to wonder if, if we're wondering if, could Facebook make money on mobile? And that was the knock on it when it went public. Could they figure out a way to make money using a phone? And and what we thought when we launched this, this business was that, um, there's an opportunity to create new media properties, uh, that are built on three things. One mobile, which was going to be one of our differentiators two was going to be, uh, uh, design. and when you start something new, one of the things that we realized is that great design and user experiences could give you uh, a way to make three guys look much bigger. Um, and then the third thing we wanted to was just great content. And so focus on the the core of what makes media companies uh, successful, you know, for hundreds of years now, which is uh, producing something that's compelling and insightful and uh, essential to their audiences. And so that's why we launched Industry Dive, thinking of those three things.
0: It's interesting because, you know, in this very short time that I've had the podcast, uh, my first guest was Brian at Exits and Outcomes, Uh, Our salon is going to be a guest of mine I believe next week or the week after and then there's you Ryan and Eli I jokingly refer to you all as like the fierce markets mafia Why do you think fierce markets wound up creating so many independent media operators in such a short period of time?
1: It's a good question. I've wondered and, and honestly um, it's something that I consider really fantastic. And if, if I look back on industry dive in 10 years and it's been a launch pad for successful companies, I will really have viewed us as a success. Um, I think part of it is the type of people, uh, you know, that were attracted to, uh, fierce markets at the time and, and that we recruited there, which is, uh, we, we liked people who were not entrepreneurial in nature. Um, As a small company, you need people who want to innovate, want to build, uh, and who enjoy it. And um, we certainly got those, and you see it with Arsalan and Brian, and and even a couple folks that uh, haven't gone out on their own but are doing entrepreneurial-type things at different organizations. Maurice Bakley's at Education Week, and Stephen Wellman's is at HIMSS now but has been around. Um, So so there's a legacy of people from Fierce Markets that really enjoyed creating, enjoyed innovating, uh, and then... Um, wanted to do it on their own, and and I think you know the the last thing I'd say on that is, um, f- fierce markets really understood digital media well, and we did it in a different way than other people were, and I, I think people realized that you could replicate that uh, that ethos and how we thought to uh, attract audiences and monetize in numbers of different markets. So so people are out there doing it on their own, which is fantastic.
0: So thinking about when you, you, Ryan, and Eli leave in uh, Fierce Markets and you launch Industry Dive, uh, Eli is your, your CTO, so the head of, you know, he, he built the site, uh, and you and Ryan are more on the business side. Um, what appears to be lacking there is somebody on the editorial side. Can you kind of walk through what the logic was in, in starting a company with no one on the editorial side? Because it seems to run counter to how many media companies start.
1: Yeah, um, I, I think it was more of a byproduct that we didn't. You know, the, the three of us are very, very good. I mean, Ryan's incredible at the revenue. And as you said, uh, Eli. Uh, is great um, from a technology standpoint, and, and I certainly um, enjoyed the audience pieces, uh, but then filling in the, the business operations, blocking and tackling sides of it. Um, but, but the fourth piece is the editorial, and, and that was a huge gap of ours uh, from the start. And I, I think it was just we didn't have the resources, and we didn't know someone that would, uh, you know, th- that we thought would be a founder with us uh, to do it. So it's always something that we've uh, fought to overcome. Um, it's certainly something that we've hired some great people, and, and we've had three good editors in chief uh, here uh, over the time. Um, a guy named Brian Warmith, who created content, uh, you know, was a content director first, uh, came in and set the foundation. And uh, Randy Lilston, who um, is a media media veteran, um, has been at, at some premier. Uh, media organizations came in and really gave us a foundation for great uh, journalism. And then Davide Savigny is our editor in chief now. But, but you're right that we launched without it and it was a weakness.
0: Industry Dive is a brand of, I believe it's 20 different franchises that each kind of have their own brand, but then back up to the Industry Dive uh, super brand. How, what is the process you all go through when trying to identify a new vertical to launch?
1: Yeah, you know, I think the most important thing for anyone launching into media, um, when you think about markets and verticals, is one of the things you have to understand is how are you going to monetize, right? There's some markets that fit our model, um, which we are, you know, unapologetically uh, marketing driven for, you know, the vast majority of our revenue comes from marketers. Um, And so we have to pick markets that fit. Uh, fit a model like that. And not all of them will, right? Some some markets are better served as subscription. Um, but for what we do, uh, we look for ones that, that fit our model and ad supported. And, and there's a couple of things that make a good model, you know, make a good market for us. Um, one, we look for industries that are disrupted by technology or regulation. And I think there's two, two things there. One, and the most important one is uh, there's a need to follow the news. Um, people's jobs and their companies and their careers change on a dime, uh, and they need to keep up with what's going on. Um, the second is that, you know, regulation technology disruption, uh, creates kind of some dynamism, uh, dynamic, uh, industries. And so we look for something that, uh, makes it that the, the, uh, news and and what we're covering is going to be compelling, um, that it's not a sleepy industry. We look for industries with high capital spend. Um, so the, the executives there have to be buyers and they have to control large budgets. So I think one of the things that people in media make a mistake of is they launch into industries um, and they try to do an ad supported business. But their target audience really doesn't control much to buy, you know, control much that many dollars to buy things. And so they find themselves with a market that's not supported by advertising because advertisers don't want to reach people who aren't buying things, Um, which sounds simple, but uh, it's something that people uh, overlook all the time. And then I think the other things that we look for in an industry, uh, honestly, I've always looked for large trade shows and events and associations as a proxy for markets. Um, so, a trade show, if there's a 50,000 person trade show, um, those 50,000 people are all readers. Um, if there's 500 exhibitors there, those 500 exhibitors are potential advertisers. And so it proves to us there's a market um, and that it's an established market. And so for us at Industry Dive, um, we like big markets where there's lots of dollars, we're, we're not afraid of competitors. Um, Because, you know, media is an execution game. I think, Jacob, we've talked about this before, uh, either online or in person. Um, There's no secrets in what we're doing. You just have to do it better uh, every day than someone else. And and we're not afraid to try to do that. Um, And so those are are what we do with the markets. I I think as we launch new ones now, um, one of the things that we increasingly look at is how tangential is the market uh, that we're going into to where we are today. And, And I mean that in the sense of, is there an overlapping Venn diagram between potential advertisers and maybe even potential readers? Um, and if there are, you can launch into the new next vertical uh, even quicker. So we were in the food industry for, um, you know, as one of our early publications, um, writing for people manufacturing food. So the Heinzes of the World, um, you know, all of those folks. And then we started going into grocery. Uh, and there were uh, there were advertisers that wanted to reach both um and we were in retail, and some of those retail advertisers would want to be in in retail and in groceries. so having those overlaps uh, just make it a little bit quicker um, to get running uh, both from an audience and a monetization standpoint
0: so let's let's talk a little bit about audience because I think one of the things that you and I both agree on that a lot of these solo creators or Passion creators don't quite understand is that the hardest part of this business is that audience development. When you're launching a new vertical, you know, do you have like an out of the box audience development strategy that you execute, or is it each vertical requires its own really unique strategy to kind of grow that audience?
1: Well, I, I think um, we do have a playbook that we apply to all of the verticals, and we do have standard sorts of channels and uh, techniques and tricks that we um, provide in terms of, where do we go to look for audience? How do we try to attract them? How do we convert them? How do we measure those things? Um, they don't work equally in every industry. And so you have to be um, willing and able uh, to adapt what you're doing to specific markets. And and that's, um, that's just often on the behaviors of the people within those markets.
0: And is there any particular channel uh that you have found that you would be willing to share that is particularly good for the businesses that you run well i mean i've certainly
1: talked about them but i you're you're right in the in the um first part of this a bit ago there's no magic answer to this and if if growing an audience and a real audience, and i and I say real audience to differentiate it from traffic, right? It's easy to get traffic. Um, it's easy to get, you know, names. It's really hard to build an audience. And if it was easy to build an audience, media would be a much, much easier industry, um, but it would be even less valuable than uh, it is today. So, the, the, you know, you want hard audiences um, to build um, because that, that's what makes your media property valuable. If it was easy, your, your media property is not super valuable to start with. So let me say that and then then answer your question about the channels. Um, they change all the time, to be honest. Uh, and and what worked one day doesn't necessarily work the next day. And, and part of that um, is because uh, circumstances and platforms and technology changes. Other parts of it is because when marketers figure something out, they hammer it until they've destroyed every ounce of value out of it, which is which is kind of, you know, how, how digital marketers work. And so, you know, the secret to this is you have to be in all channels and you have to be experimenting in all channels. Um, clearly, you know, for us, the number one thing we do is produce a lot of content every day. Um, and do it for a long period of time. So uh, that benefits us in two ways. One, um, you, as you know, uh, someone with an SEO background, that helps from an SEO standpoint. Um, we're starting to to win in the topics we cover because we've been here for eight years now writing about it daily. Um, the second thing is, you know it, it helps with the referral. Uh, so the the two biggest sources of our traffic, Um, or or our audience growth, I should say, not traffic, uh, come from, uh, you know, referrals of our existing audiences and then conversions on our stories. Um, That said, we also spend real-time effort and and money um, on different channels, uh, albeit social, be it uh, email marketing on our own, uh, partnerships with trade shows and associations, Um, you name it, we're there. Uh, and, and as I said a second ago, you know, what works today won't work tomorrow. And the things that really helped us eight years ago, you know, LinkedIn was one of them. We 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 built LinkedIn groups and got into LinkedIn groups um, quite a bit in 2012, 2013. And they drove really targeted audiences then. They don't now um, just because of how LinkedIn has prioritized groups versus other parts of their platform. So um, those things change. They disappear. Uh, and you just have to be ready to kind of pounce on the, the good ones when you find them.
0: I want to understand how the the systems that you have at the business sort of work together because supporting 20 plus websites could really overwhelm any operator uh, without having like a real structure in place. So can you walk through the various you know systems that power the business from the CMS to your ESP and the ad server? And how each of those tools kind of work together to help you power that business?
1: Um, it's a good question. I think you know. Let me let me kind of give one piece, and then I'll dig into sort of the, the systems that we have. Um, when we launched this, we knew we wanted to be in multiple markets. Um, you know, n- media for us and value for us. Um, Scale was something different than what other people uh, viewed. And, and I think when we launched, it was uh, in the heyday of VC-supported um, media companies. And scale was get uh, as many people as possible onto your site. And they may be of marginal value, um, but if you get enough of them, maybe they'll be valuable in, in the whole, which, which kind of seems silly if you think about it. Something that's not valuable, um, you do a whole bunch of times and hope that it's valuable for us. What we were trying to build was take take very valuable audiences and then scale that and do it multiple, you know scale then means do it multiple times. And so that meant multiple markets. Um, it meant that we had to have a foundation that was easy and scalable um, and that uh, was repeatable. And so if you look at our products and our websites and our media kits, um, they are all very much the same. The underlying technology is the same. Uh, what we sell to marketers is the same, um, which, is a tr- which is, you know, um, a secret in its own right. Um, but we do that so we can make it easy. Um, what, the only thing that changes is the market knowledge and insight and the editorial content that sits on top. So that's the background of, of what we're trying to do. Um, what that means is we, we built our own CMS, a so Django Python that, that Eli um, created. Uh, which is at the foundation of, of what we do right now. Um, I think the, the biggest thing that we did, um, and most recently, was put in a CDP. Uh, and I say recently, a, a couple years ago. Um, and we're using Lytics, but something like Omida is a great product for this, uh, for publishers now. But we put in uh, a CDP to um, monitor uh, you know, our audience, to quarterback sort of our audience experience between our ESP, Our ad server, which we're just using, you know, the Google. Um, and our audience, you know, databases. We've got some legacy uh, warehouse systems that we use, um, but the the CDP sits in the middle of it, which allows us to really sort of segment our audiences, right, and define high value segments for each of our markets, and then see what they're doing not only in those, you know, platforms, email and the web, uh, and webinars and the rest, but also, you know, across our verticals and, and track those. So, so I don't know if that answers fully the question, but, but those are the main pieces that we have. Um, obviously there's other technologies that we have on there. We, um, use lead square for some of our, uh, lead, um, lead capture programs on behalf of audiences and webinar platforms and and you name it, there's, there's other technologies, uh, trickle in, but those are the big ones, the ESP, um, web server, Google analytics, mixed panel, and then Linux.
0: Well, that makes a lot of sense. And it's, um, you know i do know that when when covid hit a lot of publishers uh started to look at their business and then with third party cookies going away publishers are now starting to recognize that uh they really need to understand their data their users a lot better so i've been hearing from a lot more publishers that they are starting to invest in that whole cdp um so uh it's good to good to know what which one you guys use cuz i'm sure it helps other publishers
1: yeah and i i think you know um there's certainly ways to do it like we've done, which is you, you get a CDP and you connect it to all the technologies. And I think everyone does that uh, on some whole piece. Um, I think, you know, if I was looking at this over again, I, I, I would start with the first thing that's probably most important for uh, media companies now, which is, you know, the the email service provider. Um, and, you know, because that is the, you know, for, for most of us, it's the database of record. Um, and then I would build off of that. And I, I, like I said, Lytics does a good job of that. Omida is built, you know, is an ESP that has built um, you know, the CDP functionality among other things on top of it. And so I think they're a great, uh, they're a great provider. Um, if you want a rock solid database uh, management with, you know, the technologies that you're getting from two or three different people, not to sound like an advertisement for those guys.
0: Well, it's not as if publishers have much money to spend anyway, so um, <laughs> exactly. Uh, I think that's one of the things you uh, you take very much pride in. I think that publishers are uh, are a little bit cheap.
1: We're either cheap or disciplined. It's one of, one of the two. I
0: prefer disciplined. <laughs> uh, so, talking about ads, because you guys are unapologetically one hundred percent advertising. Um, can you walk through the various ad products that you offer? Um, and how you come up with pricing for those various line items?
1: Yeah, you know, I, and and I will say this: I I no longer say that we're ad supported. I say we're marketing supported, and I, I think there's a real um, difference there. Uh, the The thing that we're not is we're not running programmatic ads, and we don't have ad exchanges um, up there. We're we're almost you know, 90% of the time we're selling directly to marketers in the industries. And, and that, those are you know, some of the biggest marketers out there, but also middle market uh, companies and even smaller startups within our spaces. Um, I, I'm a, a strong believer that uh, you know, the, with the way data is going, uh, programmatic and third-party ad models um, are troubled uh, in general. But I think from a media standpoint, if you stop and think of what we as a media com- you know, industry has done over time, which is said, hey, I'm going to outsource all of my revenue to this programmatic faceless sort of machine that's going to come drive value. And that means I don't really need as many sales teams as I used to. And I don't have to have as deep a relationship. And I don't hear exactly from my customers as much. Um, and I don't know actually what's happening on the sites or the bidding or the rest. Uh, if you say it that way, that's a crazy business model, right? Um, It's not something you would set up to do. But I I think over time, drip by drip, we've gotten to this point where um, media companies got further and further away from the marketers who were buying from them. And what we've done is we've tried to get super close to them and have real conversations with them, really understand what their problems are, be consultative in what we're doing uh, to, to meet those needs. And so To answer your question um, before I went on a rant there, uh, you know, we have a number of products and we talk about from brand to demand and how we serve marketers across uh, the funnel of their needs. And I think when when we started, um, it was very easy to see us as companies that help with lead generation. Because um, that's what that's one of the things we're, we're really good at. And that's one of the things our products and email and uh, digital can do very well is you can target specific audiences and you can convert them in a measurable way. Um, and so we do that very well. And, and we have that to be from content based. Uh, conversions or, you know, virtual events like webinars or podcasts or, or different things that we can connect those folks and, and try to capture leads. Um, over time, we have had products, you know, we've moved more towards uh, products um, that uh, serve the whole funnel and, and help Clients not just capture leads, but tell very complex stories about um, their products and solutions and how it solves people's needs. And so um, today, our content studio uh, is one of the biggest parts of uh, our business. Um, You know, even even before we did an acquisition in July uh, where we acquired a content studio. Um, but even before that, you know, the content studio for us was one of our fastest growing parts of business. And, and that is really helping marketers create custom content to reach uh, niche audiences in a way that's authentic and credible. So um, when you look at the products, we're, we're doing things from helping them write, uh, you know, their own white papers, helping them create content hubs on their sites uh, for specific audiences to uh, hosting, you know, online events for them to packaging our best content around specific topics and gating it for lead gen conversion, um, and driving real leads to people, um, you know, we're there. Uh, but what we're not is programmatic. And, and you know, the, the banner ads on our website, um, it's not a, you know, it, I, I like the money we get from it, but it's, you know, on about 5% of our revenue, it's, it's not what we're doing from a marketing or ad supported business.
0: I want to build a little bit on on the marketing business that you've run, um, because part of what makes your business so interesting is you're able to really provide a very focused approach to the specific people that these marketers want to talk to. And in one of our recent you know Twitter exchanges, we discussed a scenario where, you know, I was saying that publishers would be able to tell an advertiser not only how many people saw their ad. But what type of person saw their ad and the context of the content their ad was seen against, which is a mouthful to say. Uh, you said this isn't hard to do today, but that it's hard to do that at scale for the operations team. Can you talk about how you've overcome that sort of uh, operations scaling burden?
1: Well,'m I'm, I'm you know, candidly, I'm not sure we fully have. Um, that that's the the piece. and and what's really hard is, if every one of your advertiser has a slightly different version of what their their target audience is, then you have to build sort of profiles that that track those people. And so, you know, the, the first thing though that we have done, um, both from a marketing and an editorial standpoint, is we have we have built. Um, you know, segments within our CDP of what are our target audience. Right. So in um, utility dive, which is, you know, electric utility industry publication, one of them will say, OK, we care about utility execs at these types of companies. Right. Um, we, we want and then we can say, well, we want people who care about solar. We want people who compare care, care about load management. We want people who care about, you know, storage and batteries. And we can break those segments in, you know, break those groups into different segments and then track their behaviors based on that. And and the hard part is getting the data um, to build those segments. And and you can do it in a couple different ways. I mean the, the first one and the most important one is get them to register. Uh, or sign up for the email and collect demographics, right? So um, what we want to do is we we want to know you know who you are, um, what your company is, company type, job title, and your job function, um, so that we can put you in the most basic buckets of what we're doing, uh, you know of who you are. And then we can layer on behavior. On Okay, wh- what do you care about? And it's, it's very easy. The, the first thing is very easy, right? If you sign up for um, utility dive, then, then we say, well, this guy probably cares about electric utility. Um, but for some people, right, they may sign up for healthcare dive. Uh, and they they might sign up for um, biopharma dive. Um, And so then we say like, well, are they, you know, do they care more about drugs or they care more about, you know, hospitals and hospital management? Um, And then we start to watch behaviors uh, and we can put you into buckets, uh, you know, that are set up, you know, that track those. Um, The hard part is if an advertiser comes in and says, no, 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 I, I don't want that. I want this. And it's not a segment that we've pulled up. And so you have to create those segments for them. Um, but then the other hard part is when, when you've got 20 publications and you've got hundreds of advertisers, just actually pulling the reports and giving it back to them in a way that makes sense um, and shows the value is, is hard. And so we're looking to build systems to do that. But right now, it's a real time-consuming piece, um, and we don't do it all the time, to be honest. Like We we can't do that all the time, Um, but for some types of campaigns, we we might.
0: So with 20 verticals um, and obviously a central back office that sort of supports all those, how large is the team these days?
1: Company-wise, we're about 220 employees right now, full-time.
0: And what is the breakdown of of the team across editorial, sales, audience development, operations?
1: Yeah, you know, so editorial, full-time editorial, we're, I would say, 80 people right now, um, which is our biggest department. Uh, Sales is probably 30 to 40 folks. Um, and I'm, I'm kind of spitballing here. So someone's going to like write this down and then the numbers aren't going to add up to 220 and I'm going to hear about it. But, um, so, you know, sales is our, our next biggest one. Uh, our content studio, where we have strategists that help create and execute um, high end contents. That's probably the, you know, now with the acquisition we did in July, our, our third uh, biggest or probably even bigger than our sales organization. Uh, but somewhere right around there. Um, we have an ad operations team that, that helps ads and helps some of this client piece that you're talking about. That's, you know, four or five folks. We have an ad ops team. That's, you know, 10 say, um, then we probably have a 10 person design team uh, engineers and accountants and HR kind of round out the rest and, and I'm, and then marketing, honestly, I, I totally miss them, which is, um, you know, does uh, audience development, um, our own marketing. And then if there's a lead generation campaign for a client, um, our marketing, you know, lead promo team that, that falls under marketing handles it. And, and that happened because what we realized is, um, you know, the best online marketers in our company were in our audience development team. And as we were doing campaigns for uh, clients, we just wanted to build off the excellence they had. So we, we've folded, you know, all online lead generation and, and digital campaigns into a marketing department, which includes stuff for ourselves and stuff for our clients
0: growing to 220 some odd employees. What, what, what have, have been some things that you've learned scaling to that many employees? Cause you started the company with obviously just you and the two co-founders and now there's hundreds of you. So what have been some learnings you found there?
1: Yeah. I mean, there's, there's all kinds of them across it. Um, and, and we make mistakes all the time um, with what we're doing. I mean, I think, you know, our very first hire was uh, audience development. And I think what we realized was you got to have a great product before you can even do some of that stuff. And so um, we really focused more on product and and, uh, and the content. Um, I have never regretted hiring a designer uh, in the long run, which is something, you know, going back to the first Markets days, we, we probably didn't value enough Um, And I think one of the things that I've really appreciated is, um, you know, design really matters and user experience really matters. I've never regretted hiring someone there. Um, We've always hired sales reps before we think we need them. Um, It's one of the things that's helped keep us growing. Uh, They often, you know, also... Um, look for ways. You know, they're looking for money all the time, and they give you great feedback loops when they, they find something that that would be easier for them to sell. Um, they have a tendency to tell you that, and that's a signal of, hey, there's dollars here. The sales reps really want this product, um, and so having you know having those folks there, um, you know, pushing us has really been good. And and then the third right, the the biggest um, the biggest department we have is. Um, You know the the editorial department and content, Um, and it's a it's a reason for that, right? It's it's um, something that I think was uh, you know people overlooked for a while there in media companies, Um, and I think that's changed now, particularly as as we start talking, you know, more and more people talk about niche audiences and they talk about the value of uh, knowing a market deeply and and creator economies of creators who know specific area. I think that's swung back, but but there was you know, there was a a stretch there five years ago where the secret to media was figuring out how Facebook was gonna, you know, share your story, um, and the upworthies of the worlds were the darlings in there, and and having an editorial department didn't really matter as much as having viral, you know, aggregators, and and I think that has changed uh, for the better, back for the better, um, and so so we do that, but that's you know, um, I think the other thing I would say on there is there's got to be a balance between all of it. Um, and you know, if you, if you find yourself all editorial, then you're probably missing the boat. If you find yourself all sales, you're, you're probably missing the boat. You gotta, you gotta think about how it's balanced across the business.
0: You've mentioned a couple times the, uh, the news credit acquisition. Um, can you, can you walk through, you know, sort of how that deal happened? Did you approach them? Did they come to you? Um, and how does this acquisition help industry dive you know, grow either faster or deeper with your partners.
1: Yeah. Um, so, so it was a, a deal where we uh, came together. We have a we have a um, a, a chairman who has a longstanding relationship um, with Shafkat Islam, who's the CEO over there. And and Shafkat and I um, have gone, you know, go back um, online, you know, friends, sort of Twitter friends, more than real, you know, real life friends. But but we go back a while as well. Um, but but our chairman. Sort of knew that they were pivoting their company um, towards the software platform that they were building, and, and NewsCred's had a uh, you know history um, in content marketing. They built a really phenomenal content studio, uh, and they built a software platform to support it. And what they realized was that they they viewed the future of their company as as the software and the software platform, and they were spending less time on the content studio. And so it it sort of became made sense as we were looking to build out our studio and to double down on it. They were looking to spend resources and energy away from theirs. Uh, and so we found each other sort of off the market through, you know, our chairman sort of the, the go between mutual uh, connection. Um, right as the um, right as the pandemic was starting, we, we had one in-person meeting uh, in late February uh, in New York, and then we never saw each other uh, since then. And there's still people, uh, on the team that I've not met in person um, to date. But, but we spent all summer, you know, trying to figure out if there was a good deal here and, and getting the deal done and, and closed in July. Um, for, for us, you know, the, the part of your question you talked about was the what, the rationale for us is um, we have world-class, you know, audiences and we reach them in ways that help, uh, you know, that, that help marketers and our clients um, tell tell the stories, and, and I said the complex stories, and provide insights and, and go from the brand to demand. Um, as we grow uh, as a company, we're looking to add capabilities on top of these audiences, right? So the, the secret of media is you build audiences and then you leverage those audiences to make money in different ways. And, and people have done that from you know, ESPN started as a TV station and then launched magazines and websites, and they do events. And Martha Stewart, I think, started. Uh, you know, um, I, I don't know how she started, but then has you know magazines and goods and and stores and the rest, right? Um, you find different ways to do it. And so when we looked at our audience, said, what capabilities can we do to build on what we've done, which is great audiences, relationships with marketers. How do we add on top of that and content studios, something that we could apply across all of the markets. Um, and the NewsCred one has just incredible talent and deep relationships uh, and were, you know, leaders in, in this space um, and, and ones that have tackled it for uh, years now, not something that just stood up um, today. And so we were attracted by that. Um, we are attracted by what is the content studio of content marketing sort of 1.0 was a decade ago. What does 2.0 look like? And what we realized is, you know, niche media companies have, have the ingredients to do something incredibly special when it comes to content studios. And so that's why it combined um, the, the what makes it special. Um, I think, you know, if, if you take really great content expertise in a content studio, marketing strategy and expertise, with the ability to create great content, you have a good content studio. And a a lot of people can do that, right? Ad agencies um, have stood that up and they say that they can do that. But then if you take it and you add on real insights into the targets of your clients, and and I mean data about what do your target audiences care about, and we can certainly do that. We talked about the the pieces that we have and, and I can, you know, example I always give to that is, um, you know, we could tell people when COVID wasn't the most important topic that, that CFOs were reading about, right? Like we can point to the week that they stopped reading about COVID first and they read about something else. And if you say that to marketers like, hey, now's the time to change your campaigns from COVID working from home to budgeting or whatever. And if you want to reach those CFOs, that's really powerful. Um, and a media organization that, that focuses on data can do that. And then finally, the the thing that only a media organization can do is combine that with distribution, right? So you can, you know, an ad agency can create great content. Um, Maybe they can go to third parties and try to figure out data about the uh, audience, but it won't be as good as what a media company can do. But then if you want to distribute the content you've created, you've got to find someone else to do that. And only a media company can can do that. Um, And so for us, You know, our view of of a content studio that is, you know, the the world class of tomorrow is combining those things, you know, world class strategy, marketing strategy, world class content creation, data insights built on on first party data, and then distribution to highly targeted, valuable audiences. And so those are the four things we're trying to bring together um, with the acquisition and industry dive. And I think if we can do it right, it's incredibly powerful.
0: Speaking of another acquisition, and I'm going to butcher this name, but Falfurious also acquired a majority of Industry Dive. Yep. Can you talk through how that deal happened? Um, again, were they see? Did they approach you? Did you seek them out? And how does having this partner uh, allow you guys to grow quicker?
1: Yeah. So it's Falfurious Capital Partners, They're they're a private equity firm uh, down in North Carolina. Um. It, it was an interesting story we we weren't really looking uh, to sell part of the business we weren't looking to do a transaction at all and in fact um, I was prepping to uh, get our financial house in order so that we could raise money on our own um, so that if if there was you know opportunity or a recession or something happened we could be acquisitive and that we could start to go on the hunt of of buying companies in a downturn which we thought would be a way to to build a, a great company, and so we were prepared to do that on our own. Um, last summer, I started getting messages on LinkedIn and and just kind of blind emails from uh, you know these people at Foul Furious and and the chairman, Alec Juxowitz, who's uh, been in in the uh, industry for a while, and I just was ignoring them to be honest because I didn't know who they were and um, I didn't. Uh, I didn't think it was going to be worth worth our time. And, you know, if, if you've been building a company for a while, you know that uh, the venture capitalists and private equity folks ping you all the time. And it's usually a, an analyst who's two years out of school and he's trying to fill out a spreadsheet um, about your company so that they can just have data and information on pipeline uh, if they ever need it and want it. And that's really what I thought this was. Um, and it wasn't until mutual connections started um, reaching out to me saying, hey, you, you should talk to these guys at Felfurious. Um, They're really trying to get in touch with you. They have an interesting thesis um, that I paid attention. And so we took their call and I, I met them for coffee and they laid out a vision of a media company that was eerily similar to what we were doing um, to the point where they showed me a slide of here's what we're trying to build. And it looked exactly like a slide I had been showing internally to our employees for six, seven years now. And I had always viewed myself as a contrarian uh, in the media space and that we were trying to do things that other people said couldn't be done or shouldn't be done. And the fact that they came with this view um, that matched mine really got my attention. And so I I grabbed Eli and Ryan and said, we've got to talk with these guys. Uh, And what we realized was that Um, The things we wanted to do with a business would have been incredibly hard on our own um, without having, uh, you know, a a financial backer um, like Falfurius that um, brings more gravitas from the financial standpoint than than we, you know, a bootstrap media company would bring on our own. And we just thought that our business was at the point where it deserved more. Um, you know, I, I think a lot of people make mistakes by raising money too early in media companies' cycles and that you should be bootstrapped and disciplined to do it. But there comes a time where the, the business deserves to grow faster, and it felt like we were there uh, when the time came. So we, we did a deal where they, they bought, you know, a majority stake in the business. We, we still retain um, a good chunk of it, but they're the majority owners, and we've been off to the races since. And and it's been fantastic, uh, to be honest with you. We've got a great partner and they are um, incredibly fair, but incredibly sharp. And they um, do real work on our behalf and they help us do things. I I don't think the the, uh, deal with NewsCred certainly would not have closed without um, their backing, but also uh, the uh, experience that they bring um, to doing deals like this. So um, we've just been incredibly lucky. Uh, with who we picked and how it's worked out.
0: So, Industry Dive is a marketing-supported media business, um, and it's completely free on every single vertical. But subscriptions are all the rage these days. Uh, events before COVID were all the rage. Um, two questions on this: First, you know, how have you guys stayed so disciplined on sticking to that thesis of being an, a, a marketing-first? Uh, a marketing-driven media business? And then second, do you ever look at what you've built and the quality of the content and and, and question whether there is a subscription or post-COVID a future events component to the business?
1: Well, um, I think the how we've been disciplined is sticking with it's an, an easy um, answer. One is we've tried to be really disciplined. Two, I think we know we're really good at digital digital audiences and monetizing digital audiences. And for us, um, the opportunity, we always see more opportunities and there's more, you know, we're, we're not done with 20 markets right now. We'll be in more, um, you know, coming forward. Cybersecurity launches in October and and we'll have more in, in Q1 of 2021. So we're always going to do that um, because there's, there's still a lot out there. Um, there's still real opportunity out there. I do think, you know, we have a, a subscription business here. Um, I think, honestly, we probably would have done acquisitions in the event space if it hadn't been for COVID at this point. Uh, and, and we were in deep talks with uh, some events that I think would have fit nicely in our portfolio, you know, event companies. Uh, and there may be a day when that comes. But I, I spend, you know, I, so I, I think there's things, you know, there that we can do. Um Subscriptions, something that I'm always tempted by on some level, but uh, I also think there are real opportunities now that this time and place um, are affording. And I, I've I've talked a, a little bit about you know anyone who talks I, I say that I think the event industry is in their newspaper moment, um, where I've always said you know Craigslist came and cleaved off a huge part of the newspaper business. It never went away. And I think virtual is going to find a way to take, you know, one or two of the reasons why people go to live events and cleave it off. And I'm not sure what it is. I've I've been toying with models in my head and different things, but I think there's a way to do virtual events and, and not the, Hey, let's take our physical event and set it up. So it's exactly the same uh, online but there's new ways to um, tackle that and I think you know peer-to-peer you know right now is sort of my leading thesis of can you take sort of peer groups and you know I, I don't know about you but I go to some events because the people I really care about and I exchange ideas with and give me feedback and advice often go to those events and and we use them as a way to get together socially but as a way to share ideas and and that to me is often just as important are more important than the content of the event itself. It's the convening of those folks. And can we do things with tight-knit virtual peer groups sort of in a corporate executive board model um, online that takes away what some of the events are? I, I don't know. Um, but I, I see a world where we, you know, we start to experiment with that. We start to experiment with events um, virtually and then build into uh, in-person um, as well. But for us, you know, it's a can we walk and chew gum at the same time? Um, Because there's still a ton of opportunity in the things we know in front of us. And, you know, one of the reasons we've not done it is, you know, we've been disciplined not to get distracted or not to lose sight of what we're good at. And I think, you know, we're going to have to be very careful about how we set this up if we if we really want to tackle these opportunities.
0: So over the next three years, Uh, How many more verticals do you think Industry Dive will have and will the various modes of monetization be enhanced with other things or will it still look very similar to what it is today?
1: Well, I I think they'll definitely be enhanced. You know, we're in 20 markets now. There's 20 more that I like. Um, I don't think we can honestly launch more than two or three a year. Uh, just for the effort that it takes to kind of get it up and going. Um, So, you know, if, if we're going to do it organically, you know, we're probably looking, you know, nine new ones at the max. Um, But I don't also don't think we're done with acquisitions. And I think there's ways to um, get into markets today um, that we may, you know, we may really like that fit our model that also bring new capabilities Um, to us. And so I I would hope and expect that we can do some of those, um, either in addition to or instead of launching some of those. And in terms of revenue mix, you know, our, our revenue uh, should all, you know, should always, the the mix will always change. um, And there'll be new products in there. Um, Some of it you know, audience-focused, but but some of it tapping new budgets. Uh, you know, in the corporate you know corporations that we get money from today, and and those could be you know, like I said in the, earlier, we started getting lead gen budgets from big companies. Then we started getting their branding and content marketing dollars. I think there's an entire different pocket of budgets and PR departments in these companies, and you can you can spend and tap into those budgets. Um, we are doing more um, new things in terms of uh, podcasts and video and and those types and and virtual events and webinars you know we're we're doing you know a number of those today uh, and if you consider those different types of revenue than than what we have then I certainly expect those to grow too.
0: Last two questions, um, you know, we already touched a little bit on you know hiring the audience development person before having the product was probably a mistake, but. What is another mistake that you've made, either as an individual or uh, as an organization, uh, that you wish you hadn't? And what were some lessons you learned from that?
1: You know, I think there's different times in our career, uh, my career, I don't say ours, mine, um, where we've had the wrong person in a role, um, either culturally or uh, from a capability standpoint, uh, that we thought it would be too hard or disruptive to make a change. And that's always, you know, always been an anchor on the business um, that you don't necessarily see in time. And so I think, um, I think for us, you know, one, one person, uh, you know, one of the women who work uh, at our company said to me one time, it's like, yeah, this person's fine, but the rest of the team deserves better. And I've really kind of took that to heart as a mistake that I've made, which is um, I've I've worried about short term uh, issues um, from a, you know, in, in, from a personal standpoint, personnel standpoint, but also in other standpoints at the expense of long term. And I, I think we've gotten much, much better about um, making decisions with a further and further extended timeline and not being worried about next year's revenue, uh, and the impact that that's going to happen. Um, but worry about what the company is going to look like seven years and knowing that when you get the right person in a role, um, the whole company hums and takes off. And so I think that's something that, um, really when I was a younger, uh, entrepreneur and manager, maybe I didn't appreciate as much.
0: What is some advice that you would give someone thinking about launching their own vertical media company?
1: Um, make sure you have a plan for data.
0: I mean that, that's kind of
1: it. it's it's not um, it, it's it, it is it is one of the things that you you and you alone can control and own. And in all of the biggest companies out there, it's what makes them valuable. We should take a lesson from that. What makes Google valuable? What makes Facebook valuable? What makes Amazon valuable? It's all of the data that they've accumulated over time. And if you think you're too small to care about that, I think you're making a mistake. Um, You'll never regret uh, having data that you can build off of and support. And so I'd have a plan um, for that, even if you think it's not important because subscriptions are going to um, drive your revenue and the rest, it, it is important. Um, it's going to be more and more important. And it's going to be the things that even if you don't want to monetize the data or monetize with it, it's going to tell you whether your customers care about what, who you are and what you're doing. So I think too few people um, think about that and they choose platforms that maybe don't give them enough of that data, or they choose, uh, they choose not to set things up or care about it, care about it. And um, you don't have to do a lot with it in the early years, but if you get the foundation right from the beginning, you're going to save yourselves a lot of time, effort, and headache in the future.
0: If you enjoyed this episode, hit subscribe and give it a five-star rating with your thoughts. If you want even more, sign up for the newsletter at amediaoperator.com each Tuesday, I analyze the latest media news. And on Fridays, I do deep dives into specific strategic and tactical topics about building media businesses. Thanks for listening and see you next week.